kind of funny. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, whoever called them by that name didn't know what they were talking about, all right? Uh, just because they're, they're the minor prophets doesn't mean that they aren't just as important. In fact, the reason that they're giving that title is because, by, for the most part, compared to the quote-unquote major prophets, uh, they're significantly smaller. The major prophets being uh, books of the Bible such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all right? Some of these that are significantly longer uh, in writings uh, than, than the books of the Bible here that we find kind of snug here in the middle of the Bible. But isn't it true that for most of us, if I asked you to turn to the book of Hosea, if you're like me, you got to flip over to the concordance first, right? You know, you, you got to kind of look and find out where exactly this is. It snuck all these little books in the middle of our Bible. So, so where, what, where is it? What are these, what are these uh, books and, and, and what do they have to do? What books actually compose the, these books of the, the minor prophets? Well, I wanted to share them with you, all right? And uh, we'll probably look at these over the next couple of weeks. That way you can know where you can find them, okay? There are 12 books that compose this, and I think we have a slide that has them, all right? We've got Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all right? Those are the books of the, uh, the Minor Prophets in order, all right? So I want you to read them with me because I want to help you and me, all right, learn where they're at, all right? So say these with me, okay? We're going to work our way through them, and over these next couple of weeks, hopefully as we walk through them, you'll start to learn where you can find them at the very least, all right? So let's say them together. Here we go. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all right? Those are the 12 books that we come to know as the minor prophets. And uh, that is the order that they are in the scriptures. Now, uh, just because that's the order they are in the scriptures, that's not actually the can- uh, the the chronology that they are. So what, say, what, is, what do you mean by that? Well, that's the order that you'll find them. So when you go to look in the Bible and you're trying to find, okay, Hosea, what, what comes next? Okay, Joel, Amos, yeah, and you can find where they're at. But in actual chronology, timeline of history, that's, that's not the order that they were. You say, why did they do that? You listen, you're talking to the wrong guy. I didn't do it, all right? It's not my fault. It's just the way that it is, okay? But but as we preach through them, our goal, what we're going to try to do is, is we're going to look at them chronologically, and uh, we're going to go through them. Now, uh, this is going to be a little bit different type of study. Uh, as we went through James, we went verse by verse by verse through the book of James. Uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something a little bit different as we walk through these books. We're going to take a look at the overall theme of these books. We're going to try to give you a, a, a large view of what these books have to do with so that when you're studying them yourself, you'll have a better foundation as to what's going on. Have you ever been in some of the books of the Bible and as you're reading, you're like, what is happening here? I don't understand anything that's, that's going on here. My, my prayer is that through this time, as we walk through these books of the Bible, that God will give you a solid foundation so that you can understand exactly what is actually taking place in these books. And so I'm looking forward to diving into these things together. These books of the Bible, known as the Minor Prophets, they cover a period of a roughly 400 years of history with Israel. Uh, they, 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 and we're going to take our steps through them. They have major messages, most of them dealing with judgment with Israel, a couple of them a little bit different. In fact, one of them, Jonah, we've already preached through. And uh, we talked about him. And uh, he was dealing with a total different people. He was dealing with Nineveh, who was not from Israel. They were the enemies of Israel. Uh, but most of them we will deal with do have to do with Israel. And so as we begin our walk through the giants of the minor prophets, Prophets, chronologically, 
it begins with the book of Jonah. Now, as I already mentioned, we've already looked at the book of Jonah. We, we studied in depth, walked verse by verse through the book of Jonah. So we're, we're not going to go back and rehash everything that happened there. But to give you a little bit of a background, somewhere around 798 B.C., Jonah gave his prophecy and gave his, his, his message to the people of Nineveh. You remember that uh, at first he was, he was resistant to it. He didn't want to go and speak to the enemies of the people that he loved. He had national pride. He loved where he was from. He was being sent almost as a missionary to a country that he didn't want to go to. And uh, you'll remember what God took him through to get him there. The mercy of God that He showed him uh, the, as He sent him to the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a great fish to get Jonah's attention so that Jonah would go where God told him to go. Uh, man, that, that should be a lesson to us that when God tells us to do something, it'd probably be a good idea to say, okay, Lord, yes, I, I will do what you say. Uh, you don't want to find yourself at the bottom of the ocean, okay? And uh, that's, uh, that's what happened to Jonah. And you, you'll remember finally when he reached Nineveh, he stood and he preached his little eight-word message, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Shortest message, powerful message, a message that he didn't want to see come, uh, that he wanted to see come to pass. And you remember what happened? The people of Nineveh repented. The whole nation, one of the greatest revivals that you find in the Bible. Many believe that it was upwards of 600,000 people in this city that turned and repented and, and, and turned towards God. And God showed them grace and He showed them mercy as they made that decision. What a powerful story that took place. That was the first book that we come to when it comes to these minor prophets chronologically, the book of Jonah. The next book that you come to, one of the contemporaries of Jonah, was another guy by the name of Amos. Amos. Now on Wednesday nights, we're walking through the book of Amos. So if you would like to learn about Amos, uh, again, we're not going to preach on him this morning. You can join us on Wednesday nights. We're walking verse by verse through it. Amos was a farmer. I love the story of Amos. He was a shepherd. He was a farmer. He was just a rancher kind of guy. He was not some trained professional. And God came to him and said, Amos, I've got a message that I want you to declare. And Amos probably was some type of southern accent, I'm guessing, all right? You know, you can just picture Amos. I don't know. He was, he was just a good old country boy. Shows up, and he begins to preach and declare that the, the day of the Lord was coming. Judgment was coming for Israel. What a powerful message. If you want to learn more about it, come on Wednesday nights. All right, that's the next one in the chronology of the Bible when it comes to these minor prophets. Jonah, Amos, and then we're going to come to the third one, which we are going to look at this morning. And this is the book of Hosea. Hosea, he was another contemporary to Jonah, another contemporary to Amos. He lived around the same time. Hosea's recorded ministry covers a period of around 50 to 70 years, ending in around 710 B.C. And we know that timeline based on verse number 1. Look with me at Hosea, verse number 1 of chapter number 1. It says, The word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Bere, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And it says this, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. This is one of the, he has one of the longest prophetic tenures uh, recorded in the scriptures. His, his timeline and the amount of time and the number of kings that, that came and passed during his lifetime, it, it was one of the longest of all of the prophets that we find in the scriptures. His contemporaries, we are already mentioned, Jonah, Amos, but he was also contemporary with Isaiah and with Micah. That should give you a hint on where we might be going to next week, alright? Uh, but uh, that kind of puts you in place. 
what was going on as you read your Bible. You kind of know who else was, was around. And, and it was in the mid-900s of B.C. that Israel had divided into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, it, was, uh, it was shortly after the death of King Solomon. The northern kingdom was home to ten tribes of Israel, while the southern kingdom had the two other tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And we find those mentioned, the kings mentioned, divided in this passage. When he talks about those first kings, uh, the king Uzziah, King Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, those were all kings of the southern kingdom. But here we find that Hosea was primarily a prophet dealing with the northern kingdom, the king of Jeroboam that, that he says here, and it would have been Jeroboam the second. Uh, here, so here, here he comes on the scene, and here's the thing about the nation of uh, the, the northern nation uh, of Israel at that time. They were a, a country that had wicked king after wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. You'll remember later on, actually after Hosea, there would come a king that would, would come on the scenes that, that, that would be one of the most wicked kings that, that Israel had ever seen, King Ahab. Remember him, Ahab and Jezebel. And, and he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't estranged from what was the norm in that part of the world. It was, it was often just wicked king after wicked. Kings that would lead their nation away from God. That was the people that Hosea was given to speak to. And the story of Hosea takes a dramatic turn in verse number 2. When God instructs him to do something unthinkable, something that, that really at first, it, 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 it kind of makes the mind just, just ponder, what, what in the world's going on here? The Bible tells us in verse number 2, God comes to him and he says, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, this is the command that he gives him, go Take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, from the land hath, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Can you imagine what must have gone through Hosea's mind? I mean, when God came to him, I mean, he's a prophet. I mean, like he's like, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to be like Amos. Definitely not going to be like Jonah, you know. Maybe like maybe like Israel, uh, like like uh, uh, maybe like Isaiah or or like Micah. You know, I'm going to be like one of those guys. And, and God comes to him and says, "Okay, Hosea, here's what I want you to do." And Hosea's like, "All right, bring it on." He says, "I want you to go marry this woman. That's an adulterer. She's going to be an adulterer." <laughs> yeah, listen, Hosea was a real person. He was a real guy. He probably grew up, with, and in his mind, he probably thought, you know, one day I'm going to have a family, I'm going to have a wife, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to be able to pass along my, my lineage to them. Hey, I mean, he had this picture in his mind of what it was going to be like. I mean, like he had parents. Parents, could you imagine this your son? Jose, I think you need to go back and pray some more. I don't think that's right. I mean, that just doesn't seem like that's, that's the right thing. I don't think she's the one for you. I mean, like that had to be what was going through their mind. I mean, this is not at all what Hosea had pictured for his life. But can, as we've learned even over the last couple of weeks, God's plan doesn't always make sense in our minds. Sometimes, many times, God's ways are not our ways. And here Hosea had to make a decision. Was he going to listen to what his heart wanted? Was he going to listen to maybe what his mom and dad wanted for him? Maybe what his friends were going to say about him? Or was he going to instead choose to honor God with what God wanted him to do? 
Because God had a very real illustration that he was going to make out of Hosea's life. Now, I thank God. God has not called me to the same life of Hosea. Praise the Lord for that. And everybody in this room, you should, woo praise God. All right? But this is the life that Hosea was called to by God. Hosea had no hope that one day he could make a change on his spouse, right? That he was going to, you know, he'd marry her and maybe he could change the way. No, no, no. God told him. He said, listen, from the very beginning, it's set in stone. She's not sticking around. Hosea's entire life was to become an illustration of God's relationship with Israel. The book of Hosea breaks down kind of like this. In the first three chapters, we find the experience of Hosea's life being, being told. The example. And then for the next, uh, next four, chapter 4 through ch- chapter number 14, it, it's, it's Hosea's prophecy from God as God is dealing with the nation of Israel, the relationship with, that he has with Israel, ultimately the grace that God would bring through the preaching of Hosea. In an obedience to God's command, Hosea does exactly what he says, and he marries a woman Whose name, I mean, like, listen, I don't know, if you, this is your name, if you're watching online today, I just, I, I'm sorry, okay? But, I mean, you just get a picture of her just from her name. Her name was Gomer. I don't know, when I think of Gomer, I think of some guy off of Andy Griffith's show. I mean, I just, it just doesn't fit, all right? But, I mean, this is, this is who God, he said, listen, this is what you're supposed to do. And so, we find in verse number three, that's exactly what he so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblim, okay? We really don't know anything about her other than what God tells us, who, what she was going to do, uh, which tells us that that was probably the life that, that she knew. And so that's exactly what he does. And so as we dive into this story, into the life, the first thing that we find as we kind of get a little of an idea of the life of Hosea and the background of Israel, we come to the children of Hosea. That's the first thing that we come to. In, in verse number 3, he says again, So he went to Gomer, the daughter of Deblum, which conceived and bare him a son. So he, he's given, he, he has this first child that is born to him. And the Bible tells us that all of his kids are named by God. It wasn't, I mean, they, Hosea and, and Gomer didn't sit down and pull out the book and they're fl- flipping through or they're scrolling through online looking at all the kids' names and, you know, okay, what, what should we name our child, you know? They didn't do that. No, God named their children for them, for them because He was using them as an example. And so we find what God names them in verse number 4. The Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And verse it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Jezreel is, is an actual physical location. It was a valley between Galilee and Samaria. It was actually it served as a capital, one of the capitals of the northern kingdom. It spills into the valley of the hill of Megiddo, or as we would better know it, the valley of Armageddon. It was a place of much violence in Israel's history and would continue to be throughout the course of time. It was the, would be the location of Naboth's vineyard. You'll remember Naboth, he had a vineyard there. And you remember Ahab came and he wanted Naboth's vineyard. And Naboth said, I'm not selling you my vineyard. And so Ahab, uh, Ahab went back home and he cried. And he whined. And he cried. And finally Jezebel came along and said, Ahab, why are you so sad? 
I wanted it and he didn't give it to me. And, and so Jezebel has Naboth killed, has him murdered, so that Ahab can have the vineyard. It was a, it was a bloody place. It was the place where Jehu killed Joram and Jezebel and all of Ahab's supporters. It was the scene of the battles fought by Deborah and Judges 4 and 5 and by Gideon and Judges 6 and 7. And it will one day be the place of the battle of Armageddon. It was a picture of a place of judgment. It was a picture of God saying, I'm done. I'm done. This is the end. I'm done with the ways that you've been living. I'm done with the way things have been. I'm done with, with, with the way that you are going forward in your adultery. He said, I'm done. And he says in, in verse number 5, It shall come to pass that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Israel. The, the, uh, Jezreel. It has the idea of, of God saying, I'm going to break the defenses of Israel. The army of the northern kingdom is going to fall. And in 733 AD, that is exactly what happened when Assyria fought its way into that valley of Jezreel and ended up uh, ending the northern kingdom. That's the first child. I'm done. Judgment is coming. But then there's a second child. Now this one's interesting. You come to verse number 6. It says this, And she conceived again. Now I'm not any type of scholar, but, but in my study, many believe that the wording of this is very important in saying that she conceived, but she didn't bear him a son. Many believe that this child was not Hosea's child. That already the adultery had begun. She conceived again. She bears a daughter. And it says, And God called unto him and said, Call her name Laruma. It says, For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Her, her name is interesting. Laruhoma. It, it literally means not loved. Not pitied. With Jezreel, God said, I'm done. Judgment is coming. But with the second child, God says, I'm done showing compassion and mercy. We find that in that very next verse, verse number 7. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. will save them by the Lord their God. will not save them by bow, nor sword, nor by battle, by horse, by horseman. Now when she had weaned uh, Luma, we'll get to this next part where she bears the next son. But listen, he says here, he says, listen, okay, I, I, may, I will show them mercy, but the mercy that, that you've experienced in your wickedness as you've sought your idols and you've went living after your own way, and, and, and he says, listen, I'm not, it's done. You've experienced my mercy for, for hundreds of years. In fact, the foundation of the northern kingdom being in that the latter uh, part of the 9th century B.C., somewhere around 933 or 9, uh, 930 B.C., until this point in the 7th century B.C., they would be destroyed. It was roughly around 200 years that God had shown them mercy. Hundred years that God had kept and withheld back his, his judgment on them, where they would be completely wiped out, completely destroyed. That's like, if you can imagine, it's hard to put it in perspective, but if we were to go back in our nation all the way back to 1823, that period of time of wickedness in which God said, I'm withholding my judgment. 
I'm withholding my, my condemnation of, of your sin. I'm, I'm holding it back. And yet now God says, listen, through the, through the prophet Isaiah, He says, I'm done showing that compassion. I'm done withholding destruction. You've come to the end of mercy. Enough is enough. And then there was the third child. Loami. Says there in verse number 8. Now, when she had weaned Loruhumah, she conceived and bare a son. Again, the wording, very interesting. Back in verse number 3, she bare him a son. In this passage, once again, he says that she bare a son. We don't know for sure. We can't be dogmatic about it, but many believe that, once again, it was a child born out of adultery. She's given this name, He's given this name, uh, Loamai. It, it, it has this, the idea of God coming to him and, and saying, this, this is not my people. You're no longer my, my people. I, I, I'm done. I'm done. In verse number 9, Then said God, call him Lomai, you are not my people, I will not be your God. We, we spoke a couple weeks ago about the covenant that God made with Moses and Israel in Deuteronomy of how he would bless them whenever they would honor him and how they would receive curses whenever they would rebel and, and, and were unfaithful to him, whenever they turned away from him. A removal of the blessings of God on Israel was the consequences for their actions. They had chosen to make to not make God their God. And so God says, if that's what you want, then you have it. If you don't want me to be your God, okay, here you go. I'm done. Through this very real family, God was given a visual illustration to the people of Israel. You can imagine when someone would question why Hosea would name his son Jezreel or, or, or why he would name uh, Loruhamah or, or why he, he would come, come out to, to Loamai. Why, why would he do those things? Uh, he, uh, you can imagine Hosea would turn to the, to the people and he would say, listen, it's an example of your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. Because you see, our God is long-suffering. I'm thankful for it when it comes to our sin. I'm thankful that God is not a God up in heaven just sitting there with a lightning bolt waiting for us to mess up so He can strike us down. I'm thankful that we don't have a God like that. We have a God that's merciful. We have a God that's long-suffering. We see that in, this, in the nation, the northern kingdom of Israel, the 200 years of mercy that God showed them even in their direct and outright rebellion against God, idol worship and, and turning away from God. Yet we see God's mercy. We see God's grace. But listen, friend, God will not always suffer when it comes to sin. You can only continue in sin for so long before God says, okay, enough's enough. We're not doing this anymore. Judgment does come. We see the children of Hosea, and then we see the destruction of the relationship. The destruction of the relationship. As we come to chapter number 2, it begins with a tragic cry from Hosea. In verse number 1, the Bible says, he, he says to his brethren, he, he says, Say unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sister, Ruhumai, okay, so to his, these children, he says, Plead with your mother, 
plead. For she's not my wife, neither am I her husband. Says, listen, she's not acting like she's supposed to. She's left me. Let her therefore put away her whoredom out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. He said, listen, she's not, uh, she's not acting like the wife. She's not treating me like I'm her husband. She, she's going against me. He says, hey, go and plead with her. But it was to no avail. She had left him for other meaningless relationships. She, her relationships that would lead to emptiness. Relationships that would destroy her. As we come down to verse number 13, the Bible says, And I will visit upon her the day of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. She sought, sought fulfillment in all these other places. She wanted, wanted to, you know, maybe it was in the money, maybe it was in the possessions, maybe it was in the things that she could get that she would finally find happiness, but she had forgotten the Lord. She turned away from God. It's a picture that Hosea would later preach to Hosea, uh, in Hosea chapter number 4, verse number 6. He said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. The knowledge they were lacking goes beyond just a head knowledge of the Scriptures. They had rejected seeking to truly know the God of the Scriptures. Sure, there's no doubt the children of Israel in that northern kingdom, they knew about God. They knew the stories of, 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 of the, old, the old Torah. They knew about Moses. They knew about Abraham. They knew about Isaac. They knew about the deliverance from Egypt. Sure, they knew all of those things. They knew about Him, but they didn't know Him. That's what it's talking here. But they had no knowledge. They had no relationship. They, had, they, didn't, they didn't have a, a relationship with the God of the Scriptures. In verse number 6 and 7, he deals further with this reality in chapter number 6. He says this, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. They have de- they, they have, uh, there they have dealt treacherously against me. He says, listen, I want your knowledge of me more than the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. I'm not looking for you to, to do all these things that, that give the appearance of religion or, or, or all this. He says, listen, I, I don't want any. He says, I want a relationship with you. But it was a sur- surface relationship in which Jehovah was one of the gods that they served, but they didn't truly know him. He may have been the God of their grandparents. The God of their great-grandparents. He may have been the God of Abraham and Isaac. The God of Moses. But He wasn't their God. They didn't know Him. In chapter number 2, it's a sad story of Gomer seeking to find love, as one country song says, in all the wrong places. Believing that she would find fulfillment outside of her husband. In chapter number 2, verse number 5, says, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers that gave 
me my bread and my water, my wool, my flax, mine oil, my drink. She was leaving the one that loved her, seeking for that same loved in other places that she could never find it. One of the tragedies of the world today is that the church has done the same thing in their relationship with God. We can point the finger at Israel. We can point the finger at Gomer. We can criticize all that we want. But the truth is, most of the church has gone looking to fill that God-sized relationship hole in their life with countless numbers of other things. See, we hear the story of the prodigal son. We know the story. The boy comes to his dad. Dad, I wish you were dead. That's what it says. Give me the portion of the inheritance that falleth to me. God, I wish, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me, give me what I deserve. And, and, and so he does. And he goes, he wastes his life. The Bible says he goes into a far country, wastes his life on riotous living. We remember the story. I mean, he's wasting his life. And, and, and all of us in this room would look and say, man, what bad decisions. Can't believe he did that. That was awful. It's terrible that he went and that, that, he, that he did those things. And in our minds, we, we think about the people that maybe were in seats in the auditorium that aren't here anymore, and we know maybe they've went after other things, and we think, man, that's, that, could be, that could define their life. Prodigal son right there walked away from God, enjoying the pleasures of this world, thinking that's going to make him happy. But here's the thing. That's only half of the story. See, in Luke chapter number 15, verses 11 to 12, it says this, that, that, he, that he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the good that followed to me. Now, 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 don't miss this. And he divided unto him his living. Is that what it says? No. He divided unto them his living. You understand when the father gave the inheritance, he didn't just give it to the son that went off and wasted it with riotous living. He gave it to the son that stayed home. Now here's the thing that that ought to hit home with us today. That son that went away, he came to himself, he came back home, and his story ends with rejoicing. But that's not the end of the story. Because the Bible turns the page and, and he goes back to that son, the other son that stayed home. The other son that received the same inheritance that got the goods. In fact, as the older son, he may have even gotten more. When that prodigal son returned home, that older son accused the father of having never given him anything. You've never done anything for me. You're not even acting like my dad. See, he was geographically in the right place, but his heart was far from the father. Here's the tragedy. It was the older son's story that ends with a period with no resolve, no healing, no forgiveness. You know what's sad is in our churches today, I'm afraid one of the greatest tragedies is that we're really good at pointing the finger at the prodigal in our mind. 
but we have no relationship with God right where we sit. No, Israel, I mean, come on, I can't imagine them going off with all their idol worship and serving all their other, uh, uh, other gods. Oh, Gomer, that way, I mean, I just can't imagine going off and, and leaving her husband, committing adultery with all these other people. Oh, the prodigal son, I can't believe that he went off and wasted his life with riotous living. But, uh, you know, with all the stuff I have, I'm doing pretty good right where, where I'm at. And all the while, the father's saying, I've given you everything. <laughs> everything that I have is yours. I've, uh, I've blessed your life, and, and I want you to know I love you so much. And, and the son says, yeah, no thanks, Dad. No thanks, I'm not interested in that. And it's the sad tragedy of so many in the church today. You may not... Leave and go to a far country and waste your life with riotous living, but right where you're at, your heart's a million miles away. You're leaving the one that loves you and seeking fulfillment in a million other places. One of the greatest dangers in the day that we live in is that there's no lack of opportunity to amuse ourselves to death. I mean, listen, in our pockets we carry a, a handheld computer that, I mean, we can be on constantly. I mean, you can look up everything that you want on it. I mean, like, it's, our life is filled with that. We've got earbuds where people are constantly speaking into our ears. Everywhere that we go, we can listen and constantly have people uh, speaking into our life. Let me ask you, when's the last time that God spoke to you? Because we get so good at listening to everything else and, and listening to the voices of everyone else but we don't spend any time building and actually getting to know God, the one that loves us so much. We're too busy to have a relationship with the one who gave us everything. And just like Gomer, we've sold our heart to whatever distracts us at the moment, thinking that's going to bring us fulfillment. We see the destruction of the relationship. We looked at the children, and then we find this is a sweet spot Hosea's redemption of Gomer. Oh, this is good. Look at chapter number three, verse number one. It's the most beautiful part of the story. Then said the Lord unto me, Go, yet love a woman beloved of her friends, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver, for an omer of barley and a half omer of barley. Hosea, because of his love for Gomer, and in the instruction of God, finds his way to the slave auction, where he catches the eye of a woman who had left him for the love of others. The woman that had rejected him, the woman who had turned her back on him in the most painful way, the woman who, who wanted nothing to do with him even whenever he sought after her, stands there. And you can almost see it as she's standing there and, and she looks over and, and she, her body has been abused by the men that she has been with. Her life is in, in ruin. She's worth basically nothing. 
to the slave trader. And she looks up and over she sees a familiar face. And you have to imagine that with me, I mean, she must have thought to herself, great. What's he telling him? He's probably telling him about all the things that I've done. The way that I've been. The stuff I've involved myself in. And she looks over and, and she starts to see, she can't hear them, but suddenly they're, they're talking back and forth and, and she sees him lift his hand. Jose lifts his hand and he points his finger at her. Yeah, there they go. And then all of a sudden she, she sees him reach in his pocket and pull out his wallet and 15 pieces of silver and he hands it to the slave owner. They talk a little bit more, barter for for some barley back and forth, and then he walks over to her. Makes his way down the line, and she can't even lift her head, and maybe he reaches over and grabs her chin, and and he lifts it up, and he looks into her eyes. Verse number three. I said unto her, Thou shalt not, thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Oh, the love that's expressed in that moment. He says, I, listen, I know what you've done. But no more. You're mine. I love this. And I'm yours. Even after everything, I still And then we're given a glorious prophecy about Israel in verses 4 and 5. He says, The children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a teraphim. But afterwards (laughs) shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and the goodness in the latter days. Hey, listen, friend. Hundreds of years would pass in which Israel would be looking for fulfillment in all these different places and they would remain empty. But one day, everything would change because one day, God would show them just how much He loved them. He would show them just how much He cared for them. That He wouldn't leave them without a king. That He wouldn't leave them without a Savior. No, no. One day, He was going to send a Messiah. You see, Hosea chapter number 10, verses 12 through 13, He says this, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. There it is. Until He come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness. You have ripped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitudes of the mighty man. Hey listen, in chapter number 13 verses 4 and 5, he says, yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt and thou shalt know uh, no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness and in the land of great drought. In verse number 14 of chapter 13, he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, uh, uh, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Hosea chapter number 14 
14, verse number 4. I love it. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. Listen, friend, there was a day coming in which God would show them just how much he loved them when he sent a new king, a new savior, a new one that would come and would show them that, listen, even though you've rebelled against me, even though you stood against me, even though you turned your back against me and you sought after all these other gods and you committed adultery against me, said, listen, I still love you. They may not understand it at first, but one day Israel will realize that the one that truly loves them has been there all along. And no, he's not going to accept their sinful decisions. But when they turn to him, he will heal their backsliding and love them freely. Friend, can I tell you this morning, God loves you wherever you are. Wherever you are. Now just because God loves you wherever you are doesn't mean that he loves what you are doing. God cannot accept our sin. He will not accept our sin. God is a righteous God. He will not allow sin into His presence. The Bible tells us that if if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God is not interested in us staying in our sins, but He wants to change us. He wants us to become what we what He desires, that clean, right relationship with Him. And listen, He's not going anywhere. He's just waiting for us to turn back to Him. And listen, friend, He's not looking for a weekend relationship for just a couple hours on Sunday. He wants it to be every day of the week. He wants you to know Him. Not just about Him, but to know Him. In Matthew 5, 6, he said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Christ's righteousness, what? They shall be filled. Gomer found out what it was like to be empty after seeking pleasure and fulfillment in the world. But in the end, she found out satisfaction that came when she returned to the one that truly loved her. Friend, this morning... If I asked you if you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, what would you say? You see, when Hosea paid for Gomer, I love it, it's it's a picture, it says he bought her back. He redeemed her. But what if she said no? That was her prerogative, she could have, no, I'm not, no. Not going back there. Listen, friend, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for your sins. All of sin and come short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. There's none righteous, no, not one. Not one of us can get to heaven on our own. The Bible tells us it's not of works, lest any man should boast. If it was by what we could do, we could point the finger at God and say, God, because of what I've done, you owe me. And God says, I don't owe anyone anything. But he does give you the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on that cross. Why? To pay for your sin. To buy you back. But friend, just like Gomer could have, you could stand there and say, no thanks. I'm good. I'll do it on my own. And friend, if you choose that, the Bible tells us there's a place where you will end up. It's called a lake of fire for all of eternity. Now nobody wants to go there. I know that. But every day people are rejecting God and saying, no thanks God. I'm not interested. That's you, I hope this morning you'll settle it and say, God, yes, I receive your gift. 
You paid that payment for me, and God, I receive you. How do you do it? The Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart that Christ hath raised from the dead, if we confess with our mouth, thou shalt be saved. Jesus, I know that you died for me. I know that I am a sinner. My sin has a penalty, payment that I have to pay. But Jesus, you died on the cross for me. God, will you forgive me for my sins? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, if you've never done that, I hope you do it today. If you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm glad you know Him as your Savior, but do you know Him? Do you know Him? There's a big difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him. I could tell you some things about some of the people in this room. I know some things. But I know my wife. I have a relationship with her. And she knows me. Because we have a relationship. Because I talk to her every day. If I go a day without talking to her, we're in trouble, okay? So. Do you just know about him? Oh, yeah, 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 I know some stories. I, I know, Kyle, you mentioned some things here. You know, I didn't, you know, we're getting into the minor prophets, so I don't know about them. But I know, I know some other things, all right? I know some other things about God. But, 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 but no, 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 not about him. Yeah, I'm not looking for facts. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, God, you know, I know God's omnipresent, and I know that he's omnipotent, and I, and I know that he's omniscient, and, and I know all these other big words, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I know all the, no, 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 I'm not asking you if you know about him. I ask you, do you know him? Is it personal? We have a relationship with him. And it could be today that you say, you know what, Kyle, I'll be honest. I'm kind of like that son that's where he's supposed to be, but had no relationship with his father. Friend, I hope today you'll get that relationship. God, I haven't known you the way that I should. Help me, God to know you not about you but to know you and i hope we'll learn from the life of hosea see a gracious god standing there with his arms right wide open saying i love you and i want to have that relationship with you let's have heads about a nice close father thank you for this time that we've been able to open your word for a few moments thank you for the life of hosea and the things that we're able to